Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. It is Tuesday, and lo and behold, a homeless person walked in the door in the name of Dr. History. How are you? I'm doing great, Zeb. Oh, man. You've been on vacation. Yes, we did take a little trip up to Coeur d'Alene. Been playing grandpa. Yes, and construction for my daughter. Helping. Are you are you good at constructing things? Well, I built some shutters for her house. Really? I built a lawn bench for her garden. Oh, I, my. Yeah, and I enjoy that. Well, I appreciate your offering to help us. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I missed you, and uh, we want to say thank you to Gary Shoresman. Yes. And Gary, uh, I don't know if he's listening or not this morning, but Gary is always there to help serve and befriend different causes and people. And Gary, God bless you from our house to yours. Thank you for what you did. He did it's, he's always been there to help when yeah, we need him. I appreciate him. Yep. Now, what are we going to talk about this morning? Well, you know, when you think of the Old West, one of the first words that has to come into your mouth is cowboy. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. come on. That's So I'm going to start with kind of a history of the first cowboys. Okay, we've talked about the the ones that uh, herd cows and, you know, uh, the cattle drives and stuff like that. But yeah. we're going to start right at the beginning so of how they got their name. Down to Mexico or something? Well, sort of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. So, uh, you know, so the story of the American cowboy begins in Texas, really. Okay. Uh, which is the great cattle raising industry. And in 30 years, it fanned out from there clear into the northern plains, the western states. So... Really, from Texas, it just spread throughout the whole West. Right. So you picture this, you know, uh, longhorn cattle. Uh, you think of rawhide and leather, spurs, a sombrero, a six-shooter. Uh, and this kind of formed the distinctive Texas cowboy. And uh, all the other cowboys just kind of followed that Texas uh image i guess yeah you know i guess you could say uh, of course california would lay claim to having uh because of the uh, spaniards you know right. they could lay claim to the birth of the cowboy but i honestly think texas would be the home yeah and actually cowboys can be divided into two classes basically those coming from texas and then the others that kind of came out from the east yeah. i mean and they were and actually chiefly from Missouri, but the Texans, they were the best. Yeah. They were the best riders. They did the best of everything, and everybody else, and there were a lot of good cowboys after that. I was when you said Missouri, though. Yeah, for some reason, a lot of them came out of Missouri, and I'm really? not quite sure why. Okay. But, uh, you know, sometimes you can think of the bad name of the Texans uh, when you think about maybe their tempers. And, Easy on the words on the radio. Yeah. And the fact that they were mostly uh, kind of free in the use of their revolvers. You know, there's an old saying, you can always tell a Texan, but you, but better, you can't tell them much. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, the original Texas cowboy was kind of a mix, actually, of what you just said. Spanish, Mexican, and yeah. American cultures. Yeah. So it's kind of a hodgepodge right there. Yeah. And if you go back, the conquistadors and early Spanish colonists 
colonists introduced, you know, domestic cattle and horses into North America. Yeah. Okay. Now this uh, gave rise to the Mustang, which of course were horses that had escaped from the the domesticated horses. W- weren't they originally? They they swam to shore from the Spanish galleons that were off the coast. Yeah. Right? Uh, whatever they you know however they got here. Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, these horses ran wild. They multiplied, and the Western Plains became kind of a natural horse and cattle country. Yeah. And they evolved into a pretty hardy kind of an ill-formed breed of small horses that weren't really that big, yeah. about four feet, eight inches. And that's not a very big yeah, horse. A lot of them never got above 900 pounds. Yeah. So in a similar fashion, numbers of the Spanish cattle ran off into, or they were abandoned in the wild. They got together. They evolved into the Texas Longhorn, which is a tough, tough cow. Oh, they had to yeah. be. So, I, and I've never eaten Texas Longhorn cow, it's but it's not so tough with the meat. It's that those son of a guns would kill you, walk over you, oh, yeah. horn you, and everything else. Yep. So, of course, handling these cattle was the way of life for the Texas cowboy. Yeah. So they had to be tough. But by the 18th century, the aggressive and adventurous Spaniards—they were greedy for gold and territory—and they'd conquered the whole of Mexico, California, and Texas. And the Spanish settlers began cattle ranching there. Now, these ranches were run in in the same free-range manner as those in Mexico. Uh, The cattle were allowed to wander far and wide over the unfenced open range to graze and to breed. And because cattle from different owners intermingled on the plains, a system of branding was introduced to identify the animals by the owner's individual mark. Mm-hmm. And with the grazing animals ranging over such a huge area, the horsemen had to be employed, of course, to round them up and when it came, came time to round up the cows. Yeah. So over really probably hundreds of miles. Oh, so. easy, yeah, especially when you get down in that south Texas area by San Antonio and Brownsville and yeah, all that area. So, yeah. Anyway, so the Spanish ranchers recruited the cowboy uh, and some Indians uh, to look after the herds. And these were pretty pretty tough uh, cow herders, and uh, they were called vaqueros, yep. from the Spanish word for cow. And then do you know what the derivative was for our word for that? Uh, I'm a, I think I'm going to get to that. Ah, okay. <laughs> so, but over the years, you know, they developed the traditional skills and the know-how in managing cattle from horseback. Uh, they roped the animals with their lariata, which, mm-hmm. of course, is the lariat. Uh, which is a rawhide rope. Uh, they developed gear and equipment suitable to their particular uh, occupation. And sometimes they were too poor to afford boots, and these early vaqueros strapped huge Spanish fur spurs to their bare or sandaled feet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, then, of course, a lot of them were brought up in the saddle. They seldom walked if they could ride. They wore these wide-brimmed, huge hats that, <laughs> I mean, they could almost cover the whole horse. You know, yeah. they were... Yeah. Big uh, and leather aprons or shaps to protect their legs from the from the chaparral, which is thorny. And you know, I've heard stories of uh, cowboys rushing in through that and just coming out in threads. One quick story I heard one time, and I was reading a book about Texas cowboys and the Texas Longhorn. You'll appreciate this. They said, "Go ahead and rope one of those Texas Longhorns, tie him to a tree, and if he doesn't uproot the tree, come back in six months and he'll be gentled down." <laughs> And that's probably right. I mean, there's a lot of stories about the te- uh, the cattle drives, you know. But anyway, in 1803, you know, the United States purchased uh, this great tract of land from France, and the size of the United States almost.
almost doubled by the middle of the century. Streams of wagon trains were rolling west from the Mississippi, carrying settlers to the to the far wilderness, uh, and so the winning of the West had begun. Yeah. So now in 1820, there's a guy by the name of Moses Austin, and he was granted permission by the Spanish authorities to establish a colony of 300 Anglo-American families in the pretty much uninhabited land of Texas. There no, wasn't he, much there. No, he was, oh boy, I better not jump ahead on you, but wasn't he the father of Stephen yes. Austin? Yes. Now, Moses Austin died, but before he could carry out his plans, and his son, Stephen, completed the task, right. uh, settling the families on the rich farm and pasture land along the banks of the Colorado. Uh, when Mexico freed herself of the Spanish yoke in 1821, the Texas then came under Mexican rule. Right. And we're going to pursue that. Oh, yeah. Well, in those early years, Stephen Austin was basically the undisputed leader of this growing colony, being a lawmaker, a chief judge, a military commander, and he dealt with the Indians. He encouraged industry and promoted commerce with the U.S. and stimulated a steady flow of Anglo-American immigrants into Texas. Wasn't he kind of the uh, main man that everybody had to see if they wanted to try to buy land and move in there? He was kind of the head of a, so to speak, almost a country in a way. So, But the settlers were in constant conflict with the Indians, mainly the Kiowa and the Comanche, which the Comanche were especially the, the hardest to deal with. But Austin hired a band of horsemen to range over the country to scout the movements of the hostile Indians, and this duty gave rise to the Texas Rangers. Ah, uh, yes. And we've done a story on them. Yep. But uh, alarmed at the growing numbers of Anglos settling in Texas, the Mexican government tried to stop the tide in about 1830. And uh, this action gave rise to the Texas War of Independence. Mm-hmm. And you know where we're headed with this. Alamo. Yeah. The new Texans brought with them the industry that char- characterized the frontier of American uh, the Americans. But uh, from the outset, the Texans assumed kind of a... And this is maybe not a good thing, but kind of a racial superiority over the Mexicans. There was, kind there, of a, there was a hatred there. Yeah. Yeah, there but, was a hatred But there. in return, the Mexicans referred to the Anglos as gringos yeah. as kind of an uncomplimentary name derived from the Spanish word grigo for Greek, meaning a foreigner who spoke Greek. Yeah. So yeah. that's where that came from. But anyway, comp- this compelled the rebellious Texans to respect Mexican law and government. Uh, it was made extremely difficult because of the colony's isolation from the national capital of Mexico yeah, City. But there was another problem, too, that a lot of the gringos that went into that country, they married into Mexican families, and so they had both sides of the fence right there. And yes. this really created a yeah, lot of problems. Exactly. Now, Stephen Austin actually was imprisoned by the Mexicans for a year and released in 1835. Now, later that year, the Texans rose in revolt, and Austin was called upon to command this small volunteer army, and he led a successful campaign against San Antonio. Right. But February 1836, the Mexican army, 5,000 strong, commanded by General Santa Ana. Here we go. President of Mexico entered San Antonio and, of course, laid siege to the fortified mission of the Alamo. And it was held by a garrison of some 180 men, which included, of course, uh, Jim Boy, James Boy, Davy Crockett, 
and of course, these valiant defenders gave fierce resistance, and they managed to hold out for 13 days until they were crushed by the final assault at dawn on the 6th of March. Right. All the defenders fought to the death. The Mexicans, however, had won a victory, but they suffered 1,500 casualties. Yeah, it, 1500. Was, it was something. Yeah. And it caused one of Santa Ana's generals to remark, another such victory, and we're ruined. Yeah. And uh, to my listeners out there, our listeners, if you go back a few weeks, there's a story we told about the uh, coward at the Alamo. Kind of lets you know that there was one guy that did get away, yeah. sort of. Yeah. Anyway, now the Texan vengeance. But you know who the real coward of the Alamo was? Who's the real Santa oh, yeah. Ana himself. Yeah. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Yeah. Now, Texan vengeance came 46 days after the fall of the Alamo when General Sam Houston, with an army of less than 800 volunteers, defeated Santa Ana and his army of 1,300 at San Jacinto. Yep. And we did that story just we a couple did. of weeks ago. You did an excellent job. Now, before joining the battle, Houston exhorted his men. He said, some of us may be killed, some be, uh, must be killed. But soldiers, remember the Alamo, the Alamo, the Alamo. And the Texans fought with such ferocity that they completely routed the Mexicans in a matter of minutes. Yep. They killed 600 while losing only eight. Now, this stunning triumph freed Texas from Mexican rule, and a republic was declared in October 1836 with Sam Houston at its president. And the one thing we've talked about, Zeb, the Battle of San Jacinto gave us probably another third of the United States. Clear up into Mexico, or, uh, Nevada, Arizona, M- Montana, Utah. So that was a huge thing for uh, expansion. Now, cor- correct me if I'm wrong, because you are Dr. History, but I believe that led to the signing of the treaty called the Treaty of Hidalgo, right. I believe. Yes, I'm, th- I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And that's what gave us so much, California. a very important battle. Yeah. Anyway, the er- early Anglo settlers in Texas were primarily farmers, and cattle ranching was at first not that important to them. But with the establishment of the Republic of Texas, the Mexican ranchers kind of under harassment from the encroaching Texans, abandoned their ranches and many of their cattle and retired to the safety over the, the Rio Grande. So a lot of them just kind of left and went back into Mexico. Yeah. And kind of a sad thing in some ways. You, you know, know it, think of the movie Lonesome Doves. Yeah. Remember what part of the movie? Remember when they went across the border at night, Gus and Captain McRae, and stole all the Mexican horses? And then they were saying, well, we'll keep them for a couple of days, and then they'll probably come up and steal them from us. Remember that? They kept them. Well, the Texans moved into the cattle country and took over the property and stock the Mexicans had left behind. And when the new republic declared all unbranded cattle public property, Texans, assisted by remaining vaqueros, began to round up the wild longhorns and brand them with their own marks. And these Anglo range riders adopted and adapted the methods and dress and equipment of the vaquero. Right. And in the following years, they developed the skills, the character, and the lifestyle that comprised the Texas cowboy. So again, this is the beginning. Now, you might you asked why the name cowboy in particular? 
Why not cow man or cow herder or stock boy or cow driver? Or today, or cow person. Cow, <laughs> or trail rider. <laughs> well, indeed, they were called all these things in their time, but cowboy is the one that stuck and came into general use about a century ago. And it is an appropriate name because most cowboys were young. Yep. These were young guys. Yep. And so the term started to appear in magazines and newspaper articles, you know, cowboys, because a lot of them were, you know, even 14, 15, 16, That's 17 right. years old. That's right. So the cowboys of Texas are a, they're a kind of a peculiar breed. <laughs> we and, still are today, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You got to love them, you yeah. know. But, you know, early Texas usage of the name cowboy uh, was also almost synonymous with bandit or robber. They, some of them didn't have a very good reputation. Yeah. Because uh, as those men drove in the cattle of the Mexican rancheros, uh, sometimes they were <laughs> plundering and murdering herdsmen, and th- they did some things that weren't quite right. But, you know, after the Civil War, cowboy came to signify anybody who tended cattle out west. But the name still retained a kind of a connotation of wildness. Uh, it was much, much letter that cowboy uh, spelled romantic adventure. Some know? things never change. <laughs> That's right. But, you know, the popular term cowpuncher came into use in the mid-1880s. Now, I don't know if you know this, Deb, but when cowboys employed the what they called a prod pole yep. to urge cattle through the chutes into railroad cars. They were called cowpunchers. They often had to punch those animals yep. with their feet. Yep. That had got down in the crowded car, or cowpoke is another version of cowpuncher. Yep. Uh, a cowboy uh, was called a buckaroo sometimes. I, I don't particularly care You know for where that. that derivation came from? Buckaroo? Yeah, Not from really. the word vaquero. Oh, okay. The derivative of the Spanish word vaquero. Okay. Buckaroo, vaquero, that's okay. where it came from. Well, you know, the cattleman and the rancher, they were always used to donate an owner or raiser of cattle. And at the top of the league were the cattle kings or the barons. Huge. You know, the was it the king ranch down in Texas, yeah. one of the biggest. Yeah. But the original cowboy of this country uh, was mainly a product of, of the western, the Texas. You know, armed to the teeth, booted and spurred, long-haired, covered with a broad-brimmed sombrero, uh, which was kind of his badge of his calling. Uh, his personal appearance proclaimed the, the sort of man he was. And the Texas Cowboys were frontiersmen. They struggled. They had Indian battles. They they fought bandits from Mexico. So they weren't just herding cows. But the uh, peculiar characteristics of the tes- Texas Cowboys qualified them for an important public service uh, by virtue of their courage, their excellent horsemanship, uh, their skill in the use of firearms. They'd been been efficient in preventing Indian outbreaks and in protecting the frontier settlements. And as I mentioned earlier, the Texas Rangers are a part of that whole Texas cowboy story. Can you name another group of people in the United States history that ever stood out en masse with the name Cowboys? Everybody knows what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, how could you not have a picture in your mind? Yeah. Uh, yeah, anytime you hear the word cowboy, it's it's unique to the western United Absolutely. States, and especially Texas. Yeah. So that's kind of the story of how the cowboy started out. And uh, actually, if you go back a, a year or two ago, I did a story about 
the cowboys and on the ranches and stuff like that. So. You did a story one time, I remember, about all the uh, clothing and how it uh, uh, came into being, you know, with the shaps and the high-top boots and the uh, low-slung heels and, the you know, the pointy-toed oh, yeah. boots and everything. We did a whole thing on that and, of course, the hats. And But when you talk about – you say cowboy. And I'll tell you what, when I did the Olympics in 1996 in Atlanta, Georgia – I was absolutely amazed when I came down out of the announcer stand one day. There stood a Japanese family. And this little boy, about five or six, he goes, American cowboy. <laughs> and I gave, I signed my hat and gave it to him. Is that right? Yeah, in a very, very nice family. You know, I was, the, o- I was over in Park City a few years ago, and I happened to have on boots and a cowboy hat yeah. and, and jeans. Yeah. And I was just sitting outside a store waiting for my wife, and three ladies came up to me and asked if they could take my picture. Really? <laughs> and I, so I said, yeah, I'm a cowboy. <laughs> well, I, my, what's your name? Well, my name is John Wayne, ma'am. <laughs> they call me Tex. I <laughs> uh, didn't have the heart to tell them. There you go. Anyway. Why, why break the bubble? I know, I know. Yeah. They thought I was uh, pretty yeah. amazing. There you go.